0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading comes from Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom He has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned, For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man... How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. Judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man... How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, So also, through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The text for this afternoon's sermon comes from our reading in Romans 5 at verse 8. And there we read, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it that shows that someone loves you? And how do you show love for someone else? Sometimes that's in the words you speak. A young man takes out a girl and he speaks gentle and kind words to her. He wants to convince her that he loves her. Maybe he buys her roses or a ring. Maybe he takes her to her favorite restaurant. He's kind to her, gentle, thoughtful, self-sacrificing. He will give up what's important to himself, maybe even miss a Canucks playoff game and go for a walk along the seawall. He does that because she loves him too. She is lovable. Or how does a mother love her child? Well, she cares for the baby. She's gentle, feeds the child, clothes it, keeps the baby warm and safe. Uh, A a mother will give up nearly everything to protect her child. She is self-sacrificing. I saw once that a mother was holding her child, a baby, all wrapped up, and mom misstepped at the top of the stairs and fell headlong down the stairs. But mother did not let go of the baby. She hung on to the child with both arms and protected the child all the way down the stairs. She was self-sacrificing. She loved that child and instinctively kept the little girl safe. Because that child needed her. And mother loved the child. The the child was lovable. But God loved us when we were unlovable. God shows His love for us in this while we were sinners. Christ died for us. This text is used in the doxology and retrospective of the Lord's Supper form, which we read this morning. God shows his love for us, his own love for us in this. Christ died for us while we were sinners. So I want to leave you today with two thoughts, two things for you to remember. So hopefully you'll remember these two things. The first one is, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. That's the first thought. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. God loved you, sent His Son to die for you while you were a sinner. While I was a sinner. And the other thought for you today, for you to take home, is this. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. That's the second thought. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. He's already loved you, and you were a sinner. We are sinners. And we have to realize this, that sin is offensive to God. Just think about it. Adam and Eve, they messed up the world. They have become the poison root of the whole human race. The, the poison of sin infects us all. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and in their sin, their nature became sinful. It wasn't just one act of sin. But that one sinful act we read in Romans 5, that one sinful act changed the course of human history. The Belgian Confession, in Article 18, says this, We believe that by the disobedience of Adam, original sin has spread throughout the whole human race. It is a corruption of the entire nature of man and a hereditary evil which infects even infants in their mother's womb. As a root, it produces in man all sorts of sin, It is therefore so vile and abominable in the sight of God that it's sufficient to condemn the human race. And then it says, Sin continually streams forth like water welling up from this woeful source. We believe that by the disobedience of Adam, original sin has spread throughout the whole human race. And that's the clear teaching of Scripture, isn't it? Sin has spread throughout the whole human race to each one of us. Not one of us is unaffected by it. Paul teaches that to us in Romans. One man sinned, so everyone sinned in that one man. All men sinned, and so all sinned, and through that one man, all men died. And and worse than that, not only are we unaffected, the Belgic Confession says this about it, it's a corruption of the entire nature of man. Corruption, that's rotten stuff. Our whole being is messed up. We're bent out of shape. The canons of Dort, when it talks about the human condition, speaks about our will, our mind, and our affections. It's a three-part division of the human condition. Others are possible. The Bible uses other ones, talks about body, soul, or heart, mind, strength. But this one is a very useful one. Our mind, our will, and our emotions. We, we, we can call that the volitional and the rational and the emotional part of our being. Our will is, that's the way we make decisions about what we're going to do. Our, our will is about how we make choices, about ethical behavior, what we are going to do. That's our will. We call that the volitional part of our character and our mind that's that's the way we think and come to conclusions that's the thinking part the rational logical problem solving part and our our emotions that's the way we feel about other people about things uh, about how we feel about god Our love and anger and jealousy and anxiety and joy and happiness, our feelings, our our emotional part. And the scripture and then the confessions, the canons with it say all of this is bent out of shape. It's twisted. It's polluted, depraved, broken, marred, stained, infected. And it's really bad. That's sin, our sinful character. It misses the mark, transgresses the law, breaks the commandment, it's unholy, and it's really bad. So how bad is it? Well, the Belgian Confession, which we just read, says it's a hereditary evil which infects even infants in their mother's womb. There's no escaping this. Sin is not learned, it's inherited. Adam is a poison root in the family tree and his sin has ruined it all. Uh, maybe you read the National Post. This week, the National Post asks, in the case of that 13-year-old girl who is accused of a triple murder in Alberta, it asks, Can children be evil? Or are there only... Troubled children. The world teaches us that children are born innocent, this article in the National Post says. Children are born innocent, so when they do terrible things, it must be because of something else. Cultural factors, upbringing, the influence of other people, or maybe it's a a stalled moral development. Maybe they've grown up in a moral vacuum. Well, the Bible teaches us that we are not blank slates when we're born. No, we come from a poisoned root that infects even the unborn. Psalm 51, David says, Conceived and born a sinner. And as a root, that sin that we inherit... That infects even infants in the womb, that sinfulness, that sinfulness produces in man all sorts of sin. It's therefore, the Belgian Confession says, so vile and abominable in God that, that that in the sight of God it's sufficient to condemn the human race. It's vile and abominable in the sight of God. Sufficient to condemn us all, and then more than that, it produces all sorts of sin. That's how bad it is Adam's poison root is bad enough to give good cause to God to reject the whole family tree the poison root has poisoned fruit sin's poison dart as hymn 24 calls it has infected everything sin continually streams forth like water welling from this woeful source and how bad is it? Well, it's very bad. It's vile and abominable. And then, woe unto us! It's the source of all our own personal sins, too. It's like an artesian well, like a spring of water. Out in Ancaster, where I come from, outside of Hamilton, on Sulphur Springs Road, there's, you guessed it, a Sulphur Spring. And the water flows day and night, around the clock, all year round, has for years. You could try to stop it, but it just keeps on bubbling up. Or I grew up here in the, in the Fraser Valley and on uh, Mr. Case Lionhorse Farm out there on, on Coast Meridian Road, 168, They had an artesian well out back. Somebody had put a pipe in the ground and the water kept coming forth. It just never stopped bubbling out. Or in Caesarea Philippi in, in, in northern Israel, there's a spring that's been bubbling up water for thousands of years. The spring simply continues to bring forth sweet water, day and night, summer and winter. That's what the Belgian Confession talks about when it says it's like a spring of water, a woeful source. But, but here's a, a, a maybe a better example Uh, On the island of Java right now, there's a crack in the earth, and mud has been flowing out of it since last June, for more than a year. And it just keeps on flowing, a mud volcano. And that mud has inundated villages and cities. Tens of thousands of people are homeless. A woeful source of destruction, several meters thick And flowing down to the sea. And and scientists and engineers are trying to discover ways to plug this fissure, but it just keeps on flowing. It has a consistency of wet concrete. And so far, there is no way to stop it. And sin is like that. Hot, stinking mud that flows and flows and flows and just buries our lives in the heavy clay mud of sin. The filth of sin. A paralyzing, hot mud of sin that just does not quit flowing. A woeful source. And yet, God loves you and me. And how does He show that? Well, Paul says, Christ died for you while you were a sinner. That's how He demonstrates how He loves you. Christ died for you while you and I were sinners. God didn't wait for you to fix yourself up, straighten yourself out, clean yourself off, and set your life in order. We're not like that girl that the young man loves, not like the baby a mother's love, but we're sinners, twisted Broken sinners, bent out of shape, bringing forth sin constantly. Even our best works are defiled by sin. And yet, God loved you. Even while you were this miserable, rotten sinner, full of poison, subject to death, worthy of condemnation, a vile, corrupt sinner, full of sin, and yet God loves you. And how much does He love you? How much? So much that He sent the Son of His own love to save you. You were liable to death, separated from God, but He sent His Son that you might live. He sent his Son, whom he loves with perfect love, to suffer for you and for me. The Father was in a perfect love relationship with the Son and the Holy Spirit. The internal communion of the Trinity is one of perfect love. But God also loved the world. And so he sent his only begotten Son into the world to save the world. The Son of his own love, Paul says in Colossians. And with Paul then we we have to marvel and say, the Son of God loves me and gave his life for me. What a marvel, what a marvel. And so the question comes then, do you think there is something you could do to make God love you more than that? He loved you as a sinner. He loves you and me while we are sinners. Even now He loves you. Sent His Son to save sinners. His Son died to rescue and restore the sin-sick souls of those whom he had chosen from eternity to love. And original sin and actual sins are not counted against you and me. And then we can only say, wow, that's the gospel. There is nothing you need to do. There is nothing you can do to make God love you. He has chosen you from before the beginning of time to be someone He loves. He looks upon this congregation in Langley this afternoon and He says, I love those sinners. I love them so much that I had my son enter into human history to lay down his life for them. They are my son's friends. They are my son's brothers and sisters. My son loves them and so do I. I love them so. I I will take away all their sins, their guilt, their pollution. I'll restore what was broken. Repay what was stolen. I will heal their sin-sick souls. And I will bring those people in Langley, To glory. Have you ever seen a mother with a newborn child? Maybe you are a mother and your baby comes into the world. Does the child need to do anything for, for you mothers to love that child? No, you just love the child. The fruit of your own womb. But God's love is much greater for we bring nothing, nothing that is attractive to God. Nothing that makes us special. Nothing at all. And yet He loves us for no other reason than His pure goodness. He loves you and me without any consideration for our works. And there is nothing you can do to make Him love you more than that. He already loves you with His perfect love. There is something, simply, simply nothing that we can do that could make God love us more. No, He has already loved us with perfect love. And amazingly, there's also nothing you can do to make God love you less. Because God's love is not based upon your deeds. It's not as if because you're a sinner that God won't love you. God doesn't say, Oh man, look at that. He sinned. Now I don't love him anymore. The Father and the Son don't confer together and say, Oh, look at that miserable person. Now she's a sinner. Let's forget about her. She's a write-off. We loved her last week, and now look what she's gone and done. Let's withdraw our love from her. Oh, not at all. Oh, it's true. We can grieve the Holy Spirit with our sins. That's true. Just like a teenage boy can grieve his parents, disappoint them. Doesn't mean they don't love him. Not at all. They are, they're disappointed and grieved when a child becomes wayward because they do love the child. That's the point. So there is nothing you can do to cause God to love you more He already loves you with perfect love. God in Christ loves you so much that He gave His life for you. As Paul writes, The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. He loved us, you and me. He loved you while you were a sinner. Even, Paul writes in Romans 5, we read that, Even while we were enemies, Christ died for me. The Son of God loves you. And gave his life for you. But there is also nothing you can do to make him love you less. Jesus' love for you is not based upon what you do or say. It's based upon God's own desire to rescue you from sin and death and self-destruction. The fact that God has chosen you is pure grace. No merit is not based upon whether you keep the rules, obey the laws, or follow the traditions. Know this to be true. Know this to be true, brothers and sisters. You need not think, you may not think, God cannot love me because of my past. God cannot love me because of what I've done. God cannot love me until I make it up to Him first. And you must not think, God loved me yesterday, but now He can't love me anymore because I've become such a bad sinner. Look at what I've gone and done. God certainly cannot love me anymore. No, not at all. For He loved you while you were a sinner. And He has granted you grace for forgiveness and the Holy Spirit for a new life. And He is moving us to glory. His love for you cannot be canceled by your sins. It is His grace for you that overrides your sins, His love for you that covers your sins, Jesus' life for yours, which cancels the punishment for sins, His Holy Spirit transforming you and me from degenerate to regenerate, from one totally lost to one who in this life begins to live not just according to some, but according to all the commandments, imperfectly, But a beginning. So take this home with you today. You cannot make Jesus love you less, and you cannot make Him love you more. That's simply the gospel of free grace. So give up sin. Repent. So that you do not grieve the God who loves you. And not because you're afraid that He will love you less. Rather, go and live a life that pleases Him, but not so that He'll love you more, but because He already does. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.